Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message today is Keys to Obedience. And I will be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 11 and some from chapter 12. There are three points to today's message, and here they are. First, go where God wants you to go. Second, do what God wants you to do. And third, trust God with the results. Before we begin our message today, I want to recap what we've learned. And as this story has progressed, I've tried not to let the summary get longer and longer. So here's my summary of the summary of the summary. So here it is. The walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in less than two months because everyone worked together and because God was in the project. Nehemiah, he was God's man for the times. He oversaw the whole project and he dealt with enemies from within and enemies from without. He appointed people to be in charge. God gave Nehemiah a unique wisdom. And Nehemiah knew who to appoint where and gave them jobs to do. He set up rules for guarding the city. He conducted a census to determine resources, to determine manpower. And after the wall was complete, the people had a spiritual awakening. They had a revival God's law was read out loud for the first time in who knows how long. In fact, many people were probably hearing it for the first time. And the Levites, the priestly class, walked around explaining what the law meant that was being read out loud. And when they heard it, the people wept. They repented of their sin. They, re they recommitted themselves to the Lord. And they rejoiced. The people spent some time recapping the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel, and they spent some time remembering their own unfaithfulness. And then they signed a covenant with God to obey the law and care for his house. And when, they, when, they, when I mentioned caring for his house, what I meant was, was the people, the that God's house, in this case, was not necessarily the temple. It was more than that. It was caring for his people, caring for his city, caring for his walls. We've come a long way here in the book of Nehemiah. Next Sunday will be my last message in this series. I hope that you have gained from it. Read with me in Nehemiah chapter 11. Verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem. You see, a lot of people who helped rebuild the wall lived outside of Jerusalem. 
the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered in Jerusalem. So I want you to hear, first of all, that it's important for us to go where God wants us to go. The people here went where God wanted them to go, and we should follow their example. I want to show you just a little aside here. The way that we know a revival was breaking out, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual renewal among his people is found in verse 2. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. It doesn't say that they argued about it. <laughs> it doesn't say that they, that they complained about it. No one was jealous. They came up with a plan for choosing who would live in Jerusalem and those who were chosen volunteered and were commended for doing so. The walls and the temple were built, and they were back in order. But much of the city was still in disarray. You see, Jerusalem had been toppled by enemies many years, decades, over 100 years before. Most of the people lived outside of what we would call the city limits. And in order for Jerusalem to thrive as a city once again, people had to inhabit it. Plenty of people. They had to have a local economy. The leaders agreed to settle in Jerusalem and the people cast lots to see which ones among them would move into town. And at first glance, we may not give appropriate consideration to this sacrifice, but consider this. It is not easy packing up and moving to a new place. Probably everyone here has done that at least once or twice. I heard of a pastor who pastored 20 churches in 20 years. That's a lot of moving, and probably a pastor who didn't know how to get along with people. What would you say if today in church we drew straws, we cast lots to see which of us would move into an apartment on Broadway or Demumbrian for the sake of the Lord's work? And Demumbrian is a hard word to pronounce. My GPS gets it wrong every time. The GPS calls it demon brian. But this is essentially what the people did. How would you react if God asked you to exchange your current life for one that was a little more dangerous, a little more risky, a little more uncertain, and maybe a little more uncomfortable? The Bible tells us that these people who moved to Jerusalem were commended. God thought that they were important enough that he recorded their family names in his word. For what reason? Why, why are they remembered? It, it, it's not for some heroic deed. It's not for some valiant effort. They did not kill a thousand foes and win a thousand friends. No, they moved simply from one location to another in obedience, that's the key word, in obedience to God's will for their lives. One Bible commentator wrote this, Never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic ministry, listen to this, but simply being there is a ministry. 
So if you are struggling with God's will for your life, how about starting with just being present? I've, I've not been one to just hammer on this, that God has this great massive plan for every single individual and you've got to find your place in God's work. I, I've, not, I've not really hammered on that like I've heard other people do because I don't think it's quite that easy. And I don't think that God has called every single person to do this massive thing for him. So if you're one of those who, who is struggling with what God's plan is for your life, start out first by being present. By being present in his church. By being present among his people. Many years ago when my father pastored in Tullahoma, there was a man who would come to church occasionally and one time he wanted to meet with my father and he said that he felt that God was calling him to be a missionary, a foreign missionary. And so he was asking dad for my dad's counsel and dad said, why don't you start off first by coming to Sunday school regularly? You see, sometimes we get these we get these warm fuzzies, these great ideas that, we, that we're going to go somewhere else and do something great. Maybe God just wants us right here with his people. We have to start where we are before God will take us elsewhere. Obedience just starts with being in the place God wants you to be. It's it's not really important why God wants you there. It's not really your job to worry about what he's going to do with you when you get there. Your job, my job, is to obey. Obey. So, go where God wants you to go. Second, I want you to see this. Do what God wants you to do. Go where God wants you to go. Do what God wants you to do. It couldn't get more simp uh, simpler today. It couldn't get simpler. You, you know, if you walk out of here saying, I don't understand his preaching, I, I can't really help you. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. These are the prov provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah each on their own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin, meaning the tribes of Judah, the tribes of Benjamin, lived in Jerusalem. Then the scripture goes on to tell us some of the people who moved into the city and what their roles would be. This interesting book, this biography of Nehemiah is chock full of names. And we, we might be tempted just to glance right over those lists. However, I think it's important for us to to slow down and read through some of them on occasion. God recorded those names for a reason. He wants us to remember the people behind the stories. Detailed studies, if you've ever been a part of this, and if you haven't, you can do this kind of study on your own. If you do a detailed study of, of names listed in the Bible like this, sometimes you'll just come up on this, this gold nugget. You'll, you'll find a person that's listed, say here, that's also listed somewhere else in the Bible. 
and, and this reveals just fascinating information. And through such, such studies, we learn how, how God connects people and places and times in unique ways to accomplish his work, and he's still doing that today. In chapters 11 and 12, we read the names of lots of individuals who made the move to Jerusalem. And I think it's interesting to, to look at the variety represented here. Even, in fact, extremes. First of all, there were priests. There were temple servants. There were those who worked outside the house of God. What does that mean? Were they gardeners? Were they carpenters? Then there were musicians, worship leaders. Some of the people came from famous lineage. Some were just servants, some were just everyday common folks. In Jerusalem, they would each continue to use their individual skills to contribute to the rebuilding of the city. So in Nashville, as you know, a few years ago, hardly just a handful of people lived inside the loop. Now there are tens of thousands of people living inside the loop who can afford to live there. My guess is there's probably not a, a lot of variety that lives in the loop. The bottom line, it's those who can afford to live there. And you would think now that Jerusalem has been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt and so, with so much speed that, that the people in the region that were not believers in the God of the Jews trembled. They were afraid. They knew that something was going on. With, with how quick the wall was built and fortified and how these gates were put up in such quick turnaround time, you would think that with, with the new development that's happening in Jerusalem that only the elite would move in. But no. The leaders that were already leading in Jerusalem stayed, but a variety of people came together to make the city the city once again. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's an interesting story of a, of a commander of a great army. His name was Naaman. Naaman was a leper, and leprosy uh, is a terrible disease. It's rather rare, especially in our part of the world these days. And it, it kills you by destroying one piece of your body at a time. And at this time in history, in the Old Testament times, Lepers were usually excluded from contact with other humans. I know a young woman who went to India on a mission trip. And while she was there, she came up on a leper colony. So these people that live in such colonies, they're, they're isolated from everyone, including the ones that they love the most. But Naaman's servant girl took pity on him and told him that, that he should go to the prophet of God for healing. So Naaman listened to her. He took her advice and he went a great distance to see the prophet Elisha. Elisha was some kind of prophet, really kind of eccentric when you read about him. But Elisha did not even bother to meet with him. <laughs> Instead, Elisha sent a message through, through, through a servant that Naaman was to go wash himself 
seven times in the Jordan River to be healed. And instead of being pleased, Naaman, this great army commander, was angry. You see, he was a proud man. And he could not believe that Elisha showed so little respect to him as this great man. He was also unimpressed by Elisha's instructions. And he said, why should I wash in the Jordan River? I have better rivers back home. But Naaman's servants were wiser than Naaman. And they, they said, if the prophet told you to do something great, you would have done it. <laughs> Why not do what he told you to do and be healed, even if to you. Now, the scripture doesn't say this. I'm adding it. Even if to you, it doesn't make sense. Even if it seems rather ridiculous. Even if it's rather humbling. And so Naaman listened to his servants. He let go of his pride. And he did what he was told, and he was indeed healed. So often we get this, this mixed up idea of God's will. We Half the time we, we want to go do great things, and the other half the time we, we're like Naaman. And we argue with God about the little things we should do. <laughs> We've got to honor God in the small things first. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, work it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. So each and every one of us Serving in the body of Christ, we have some job to do. There's no small jobs. No job is greater or lesser than another. No one's, no, there's no sitting on the bench on, on God's team. Every member is contributing in some way or should be. People from, people from different families, from, from different classes with different skills came to Jerusalem to perform different jobs. They were obedient and bless God because of their obedience. So, to be obedient, you must go where God wants you to go. You must do what God wants you to do. And third, you must trust God with the results. Now, let's unpack that. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 27 through 43. We won't read all of those, but... But this tells us about the massive celebration that happened upon the completion and the dedication of the wall. The Levites, they, the scripture tells us, they celebrated with songs of thanksgiving and musical instruments. And the priests and the Levites led purification ceremonies so that, so that they and the people would be right with God. And there were, there were two large choirs who sang songs of thanks. These two choirs got on top of the walls. One choir went in one direction singing. The other choir went in the other direction singing. And verse 43 tells us what happened with this great spiritual awakening, this revival. The scripture says, The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. 
I wonder what that far away was. You know, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series a few years ago, <laughs> uh, it's been said that, that that was afterwards, the celebration after the Cubs won was the largest number of people ever assembled at one time in the history of the world. And the Go Cubs Ghosts song could be heard for miles away. Well, that's people celebrating a baseball team. Can you imagine what this was like? What a day it must have been. Nehemiah and the other leaders organized this great celebration. They didn't just say, okay, well, we're done with the wall. Let's everyone get back to work. No, they stopped to celebrate God. And part of this celebration involved a parade. <laughs> but they didn't march through the middle of Jerusalem, no. They didn't march around the walls, no. They marched on top of the newly rebuilt walls. And if you remember earlier in Nehemiah chapter 4, I told you about Tobiah the Ammonite, who one of the enemies of Jerusalem, and he, he mocked the rebuilding of the wall. He mocked the builders, and he, he made fun of their efforts and said that, that, that even if a fox climbed on top of the walls, it would cause the walls to crumble. Well, how good it must have felt to have stood on top of those very walls, to have jumped, to have shouted, to have sung, to have marched around shouting with joy. These were not particle board walls that were hastily constructed only to fall apart and deteriorate in a short period of time. They were sturdy. They fortified the city. And while they had provided the materials and labor. The people knew that the credit belonged to the Lord. We are a people consumed with results. So much so that many times we want to know the bottom line before we begin. We want the Reader's Digest version. We want the Cliff's Notes version. We want to read the last page of the story without reading the entire book. I met a guy one time who told me he always reads the last chapter of the book first. And I said, why? And he said, because it helps me know where the book is going. I kind of like the suspense, you know, knowing where the book is going. We, we always want a product readily assembled. Do you remember years ago, many of you are going to remember this company called Heathkit. Do you remember Heathkit? where you could build your own whatever. It was a kit that you could buy. Radio, you'd buy everything, and there was television, whatever. Uh, record player, whatever. It was a thick catalog that had all of these things that you could build on your own. Well, Heath Kent went out of business. Do you know why? People don't want to build their own stuff. <laughs> we want it readily assembled at a good price with an extended warranty. That's what we want. We want the product readily assembled. But you know what? In God's kingdom, it seldom works that way, if ever. In the beginning, God does not usually show us the big picture. He does not reveal to us the plot twist. He wants us to step out in faith without knowing the final score. He wants 
us to give our time and talents and our resources and trust him with the results. I remember talking with a group of young people one time and I said, there's this statement out there that God has a blueprint for your life. Well, I don't really know about that. So let's, let's transfer the, the blueprint to a map. God has a map for your life. I, I don't know about that either. Because when you, when you look at the map, you, you, see, you see all the roads, you see all the turns. I think the better way to say it is God has a journey for your life. And as you're going on that journey in life, above you there's a hill. You can't see over the hill unless you get to the hill and look over. And then as the journey continues, there are ramps along the way. As you take that journey on the interstate, you have to stop for food, for gas, for breakdowns. You have to go in different directions because of detours that are beyond your control. And our modern uh, GPS systems, our phones telling us where to go, sometimes even those satellite-empowered systems don't know of the detour that's ahead. God has a journey for your life, not a map that you see. He sees the map, but he puts you, us, on the journey. The better we know God, the better and the more we will understand Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We do not have to see a finished product from the start. We know that God is going to work it all exactly as he sees fit. Our job is to obey. And if we disobey, he's going to, he's going to raise up another group of people to complete his will. And at the beginning of the message, I shared with you the title of today's message, Keys to Obedience. And I've shared with you three things that we glean from this section in the book of Nehemiah that we can apply to our own lives. Go where God wants you to go. Do what God wants you to do. And trust God with the results. Maybe you're a child of God and you're struggling with feeling insignificant in the kingdom of Christ. Do you ever have a sense of insignificance? a sense of lack of purpose. God wants you to know that he loves you. God sees those who serve him. He knows our names. He knows our efforts. And if no one seems to appreciate what you do or your contributions, God knows, and that's enough. Just keep obeying. But maybe obedience is is the problem. Maybe you're one of God's children, but you're not fulfilling your responsibility to the kingdom cause. Remember, it's never too late. God is calling you to walk in obedience, and we see in the scripture that God called people at times of all kinds of different ages, all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, to, to stop what they were doing and to serve him in a new way. 
Or maybe you're here today and you do not know God, at least in a personal way. I want to encourage you not to wait. Jesus loves you. God sent Jesus, who is enough. We need no more than Jesus. And all the sacrifices that that they performed in the book of Nehemiah to to praise God for, for the rebuilding of the walls and the spiritual renewal they were experiencing, we don't have to do all that anymore because Hebrews makes it real clear that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for all sins for all time. It's Jesus and no one else. So our first step of obedience is to answer the call of Jesus, to answer the call of his Holy Spirit drawing you to him today. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney-Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.